Hi there. Welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Thursday morning, June 25th, 2020. He is Tristan H. Cockcroft, the H today standing not only for happiness that baseball has returned, but also his hippie look. How? Kyle Safi produces our fine show, and we're going to give him all the credit for the research. I'm Eric Carabell. Somebody had a host. Uh, it is Thursday, and as such, we will discuss our movie of the week, which today is going to be Eight Men Out, but we actually have something to talk about in baseball. And by the way, hopefully that movie title is not the theme of the truncated season with eight members of a franchise's pitching staff out on the COVID-19 injured list. It's our friend June Lee, ESPN staff writer. Welcome to the Fantasy Focus Baseball again, June. Thank you guys for having me. Excited to, to you know, have the highlight of my Thursdays again. All right, well, this is not the highlight of my Thursdays because you shaved your mustache, and I can't even begin to discuss how disappointed I am in you, June. It was a glorious mustache. You were getting close to the Raleigh Finger stage where you could twirl it up. I, that was a Hall of Fame mustache, and then you made the – what a decision you made. Just, like, not a very good team player, I would say. You just shaved it right off. You were becoming a, a Twitter following. Tristan, I don't even know what words to you. I'm, I need to walk away from my desk. <laughs> This, this sounds like the disappointment of my parents in like high school looking at my report cards. <laughs> don't worry, I, I, I'm working on it, but it's going to take me several days, and I don't think I can twirl my mustache if I get to that point. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's move on from the jocularity, because baseball uh, pitchers and catchers and everybody else are reporting in less than a week. They're going to report, at least the healthy ones, Look, I'm excited for baseball. I want to see baseball in any itineration. It doesn't bother me, the ridiculous extra inning thing. It doesn't bother me all that much. And we'll get to this, the uh, the fact the pitchers are going to throw three innings. What bothers me is there's still a major pandemic going on. And it seems, it seems like multiple players per day are testing positive. So overall, I'm excited, June. But I'm also realistic and a little bit concerned. Yeah, it's kind of hard to not tie in everything that's happening in this country right now when we're seeing, you know, the rapid rates of increase in infections happening in the South and, and out West. You know, New York City, where I live, is currently, you know, reopening restaurants and, you know, barbershops are opening up again. Um, but I'm very concerned just about, you know, obviously baseball is so spread out. There's going to be traveling. Uh, and who knows? You know, there's going to be a lot of guys on these rosters and these are grown adults. You're not going to be able to, you know, uh, dictate every single thing they do. So it's going to take a lot of people buying into masks, into social distancing, and also going home ballpark home, which has basically been the case in Korea over the course of the last couple of months to make this work. Uh, and it's just from a number standpoint, it's a, it's, there's a lot of people who are involved in this. And so we've, we're already seeing players get infected. You know, we've seen the, the rises in infections over the course of the last couple of weeks. You know, Philly's camp had, had a, had a couple. Um, I'm just very, you know, I'm, I'm obviously excited to get baseball back, but also it, I have to temper that excitement because, you know, how long is it going to, you know, who knows how long it's, uh, how long we'll be able to play games, you know, depending on, you know, the outcome of everything happening across this country right now. Tristan, I assume you agree with that. I mean, we have a little bit of apprehension here. We're going to try to tailor this show, as always, to fantasy statistical angle as well. But your overall thoughts on baseball returning in about a month? Yeah, I think as a group, we're all collectively excited. And I think much of that ties to the fact that it took so long to get to this point. I don't think any of us have truly forgotten how difficult this is going to be. And I'm hoping we don't have stoppage in the worst case scenario. I, I think there's a very realistic chance we don't get to the 60 games, but I'm hopeful we get to the 60 games. But it's going to be challenging. 
And the rules themselves are going to force a lot of adjustments, which we can dive deeply into. There's a lot of them here. Yeah, let's get into that. Uh, June, what changed uh, stands out to you the most uh, for this baseball season? Uh, well, you know, folks have been talking about the extra inning thing. Uh, I'm pretty willing to just kind of at least try it in this weird set of circumstances. Uh, I'm personally, you know, I've, I've always been someone who, uh, has never really felt a need to implement the DH across the league. So just as like a baseball person, uh, I kind of wish the pitcher being, you know, hitting was still a thing, but just, Given the circumstances, the fact that, you know, folks haven't been playing baseball for months, um, you know, I'm concerned about the general injury risk with a lot of guys coming back. Um, there's uh, the, just the Corks and Audis will, will be interesting how they kind of play out on the field, because obviously we're just in a completely unique set of circumstances. We've never seen anything like this happen before. I think I saw some sort of stat on Twitter that was like the last time we didn't have a full baseball season was like in the late 1800s. So like. It's been a long time since we've ever had any sort of, you know, major league, you know, professional organized baseball that has been affected in, uh, in, in this kind of way. So I'm just kind of interested to see how just culturally how all those quirks and things kind of play out on the field because, you know, guys aren't going to be spitting. There's going to be so many weird little things that are going to be different about baseball when it comes back, if it comes back. Have you thought deeply about the roster structures, June? Because to me, that's the biggest change. I think if people are focusing on the in-game changes, DH, the extra inning thing, the rosters and how teams draw replacements is something that that I found interesting. It's uh, 60 te- uh, 60-man rosters. They're potentially going to have a couple of teams uh, available as free agents. They were talking about Nashville as a possibility for that. But how teams make trades, bring in players when they need replacements, deal with injuries – I think there's going to be a lot more to this than than is being discussed in the early stages. Yeah, I'm just I'm interested to see just all of the logistical things because I think one of the most interesting, you know, we're still going to have a trade deadline. I think it's proposed for August 31st. Yep. It'll be interesting to see just from a logistical standpoint how that works. Is there going to be if someone comes from a more infected city and, and comes to you know a city that's maybe less infected right now, like New York, like are they going to be forced to quarantine? Like how is all of that going to work? What is the testing regimen going to look like? There's so many like little logistical things that. You know, we can't really discuss on Twitter just because Twitter doesn't allow for that level of nuance. But there's so many small things that I think are going to be incredibly important in order for baseball to pull this off in any sort of realistic manner. There's a lot of things that are wrong with Twitter. Um, Let's go back to um, on the field what's going to affect statistically things. I think the extra inning thing is not going to be a factor at all for statistic purposes, Tristan. These are not earned runs to the they're not earned runs to the pitcher, and they're not going to be stealing third base. So. I just don't think that's going to – it's not something you can plan for. Let's put it that way. I think what we can – you disagree? There's one part that stands out, and that is we will see a rise in blown saves. No, because – We will. It, because so what will happen is the, the visiting team in the 10th can score that run, take a lead, bring in the closer to pitch the bottom of the 10th. It'll be very likely for the man on second to score and tie the game. So I do – if your league counts blown saves, it's something to keep tucked away if you penalize for them. So, yeah, but how would you plan for that? You can't. Like, if, you, you can't. I mean, it's not like you're you're more likely to to reach a round earlier for Kirby Yates. He's going to be blowing saves just like Craig Kimbrell, who you take ten rounds later, or you should. The point is, like, how do you plan for that? You do punt saves. I mean, all my leagues are now discussing what to do. June, do you actually play fantasy baseball? I do play fantasy baseball. I have a league with with my high school friends. Okay, so that's important. Actually, has your league discussed how you're going to deal with this season? I don't, th- I don't think we haven't really reconvened yet about any of this stuff. So I think it's going to be something that probably, you know, kind of 
you know, come, plays out over the course of the next couple of weeks. I'm very curious to see just how teams react to using relievers um, because, you know, yeah. it's a shorter season, 60 games. I think the starters are going to be on a shorter hook because every single game means, you know, exponentially more than they win over the course of a 162 game season. So every small lead is going to be important. I'm very curious to see how reliever uses changes uh, throughout the course of this year, because I think, uh, you know, just from a you know, prorated standpoint, I think we're going to see uh, proportionally less starting pitching innings just because of the structure of the games and the, the proposed brevity of the season. I, well, I agree with you, June, and I'm curious each of your thoughts on this. I think we as a group are leaning too much on the shift from starting pitching to relief pitching. The roster structure of 30 men for the first, I think it's 20, it was 20, 25 days, something like that, then 28, then 26, and no 40-man roster possibility at the end of the year. We do not know yet what the spring training game schedule is going to look like in July, so we don't even know yet what length to, uh, starting pitchers will be able to stretch out. I'm not sure how how short these outings are going to be. I think there's a huge impact on wins and quality starts in the early weeks for fantasy baseball. Pitchers might not get to the five or six inning thresholds. I would try to avoid quality starts as a category, but I do think that we're going to see wins matter for starting pitchers in the second half of the season, just based on the roster structure itself. Right, which is why if you had a chance to change wins to like innings in your league, I would really recommend doing that because they're not going to change the wins rule in real baseball. So, like, when I update my rankings, I'm going to move all the starting pitchers down. Tristan, we've got, like, a 10-week season, not even 10 weeks. It's an eight-week, eight-and-a-half, nine-week season, and Verlander's not going to be stretched out to pitch five innings until almost a th- more than a third through it. How could you possibly take Verlander in round two over Anthony Rizzo when we know that these pitchers are not going to get wins, innings, enough strikeouts to matter? I mean, all pitchers are going to be in the same boat. They just don't have enough of a spring training. This is a summer training of four weeks, and half these people probably don't feel good. So I, to me, it is all pitchers in the early rounds of these drafts from now on. Is it? Well, it has do we, to be. Do, look, do we, do we really know that Verlander – see, you're describing it in a way that makes it sound like Verlander will throw three or four innings in his first start. I'm not so positive that's going to be first the case. five starts. I, they, they, they've already is, intimated that that has to happen. I, and, I agree with you in theory, but I'm not sure it's going to play out quite that way. The way they've created the roster structure, I'm not tr- sure the teams can keep the players on there necessary to do that. I think they're going to force pitchers to get up to full speed. I'd be more worried about injury setbacks for pitchers than I would be about the workloads. That's what bothers me based on the way they, they outlined these rosters. Well, June, you know, normally Tristan and I go into a season and – a part of what we're thinking about are uh, durable players, injury-prone players that we know. Like for, we discussed back in February before all this mess, the Fernando Tatis situation. He missed a lot of time last season. I don't want to guess as to which players are going to get the virus. So to me, like there's also there's been a lot of talk about players and their wives and Mike Trout taking three or four days off to, for that. So that's like 5% of the season. I don't like any of this discussion, frankly. I don't want to guess how many days off Mike Trout's going to take. I don't want to guess who's going to get this virus. That, that's what this is. To whoever wins the world championship might be the healthiest team that can get through the virus. Right. I think this, this season is going to be a total crapshoot on so many different levels. Um, you know, something that I think is interesting just from a fantasy perspective is that, you know, players with reputations for being streaky, if you go into like a 12 game slide, that's a fifth of your season. And that's, that's, that's not insignificant. That's obviously not an insignificant portion of your baseball season. If, if a guy, you know, fails, you know, gets two hits over the course of two weeks or whatever, 
that's an, that's a major blow on your season. It doesn't matter. You know, there's obviously a bunch of elite players who may, you know, can be kind of streaky, go through these, you know, really, really hot phases and go through these really, really cold phases. I think Bryce Harper is a prime example of that. Um, you know, if, or can, or can, can be that, um, you know, <laughs> um, well, I, I'm just cause I'm a Phillies fan. Take your shots. I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. But you know, so it's, it's, you know, it, it is definitely, it's definitely, um, it's going to be an interesting, you know, just from a statistical perspective, like, you know, there's guys who have two good months and then suck for the rest of the year. There's guys who make all-star games and then have horrible second halves and, and kind of come back to reality. Uh, it's going to be, this is not even a half season. This is three quarters of a half season. This is going to be a, a wild, you know, like, I don't think it's going to be easy to predict who comes out of the divisions necessarily. It's not going to be the predictable slog that we kind of see over the course of 162 games. Uh, you know, as much as I love that slog, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be very, very weird on so many different levels. To, to illustrate that, I was just discussing with my brother yesterday, last year, do you recall the Boston Red Sox start to the season? They went 2-8, and eight, and I believe it was something like 11-17 and 17 to begin their year. Their season is over if that happens. And yeah, that was 14-2. Was and two. At, Was it 20 and eight, 2018, I think it was, where the Mariners got up to an outrageous start? They would have yeah, been in the playoffs. If they start this season 13-2, and two, they're a contending team, yep. no matter what, I mean, unless they lose their next 13 or something like that. I mean... You're right, the streakiness of the season. I just I don't want to guess just because players were streaky in the past that they're going to be streaky again because this is all different and we have no idea what really what for example, Bryce Harper has been doing for the past 4 months, you know, other than growing his glorious hair. So, I I, I don't want the the one actionable change that we know about is a designated hitter. Tristan wrote an excellent article, it's posted right now, where she talks about not only the obvious guys like Kyle Schwarber but also Matt Beattie and the Dodgers, who a lot of people might not be thinking about. I think we're going to see a constant flow of player movement to the point where even guys like Harper and Cody Bellinger may not be playing seven games a week, June. So I think it's important to note 60 games is a schedule. Maybe most players play like 50 to 52. Yeah, Later. it's it, Yeah, I mean, there's it's it, I think it's just going to be this is going to be the most incredibly hard to predict baseball season. You know, I I, I don't normally find baseball predictions to be very useful because, you know, the, we've seen, you know, year after year, just people people rise up, people, you know, teams teams come together in a way that people don't expect. It happens every single year uh, across across both leagues and across both divisions. I, I'm personally very interested to see how the Angels end up using Shohei Otani. He's kind of yeah. perfectly positioned to be a player to be max to really maximize this. Uh, you know, he's obviously coming back from Tommy John surgery, so there's still probably going to be a little bit of a buildup there, but he's had extra time to get healthy. Baseball obviously hasn't been happening. And uh, he was, he was a slugger last year. He was a legit slugger last year. So it'll be, I'm so fascinated to see uh, how a team like Kim uses, you know, a team like the angels use him and, and whether or not his versatility, you know, gives a, gives the angels a, t- a tangible bump over the course of a short season. Tristan, I assume you have some trivia. We probably should have asked the question now so we can answer it later. I, I haven't planned all that well today, I guess. I'm so excited about baseball. Don't worry. I haven't either because I've been doing some deep research. So you might have seen this trivia. I hope not. We'll see. But I want to dig up the Elias stat that uh, came into active players who had 60 game spans of batting 400. So they, they had tweeted this out. I'd like you to name the four players who at any point, active players, four of them, have had a 60-game span at any point where they batted at least 400. Can you name the four players active on uh, in Major League camps, on Major League rosters right now? There was a fifth they listed. He's a free agent. But I want the four who are going to be in spring training camps or scheduled to. 
Uh, and by the way, um, today is Thursday. On Friday, the transaction window opens for teams. They can start making trades. Yasiel Puig can go sign with the Giants or whoever they whoever actually wants the guy. I, I man, in a pandemic, you want Yasiel Puig. Um, so I don't know. Like we're going to see changes here. You know, we mentioned the roster size earlier, Tristan. It's basically it's going to be a thirty-man active roster for the first two weeks, I believe. Then down to twenty-eight. Then down to twenty-six. Two weeks after that. I think you're going to see a whole lot of shuffling in and out of lineups, not just for people contracting the virus, but, you know, just pitchers, you know, like, you know how like a guy would, would throw three or four innings in relief and a blowout loss and then get demoted to the minors. Well, that guy's getting taken, thrown to the taxi squad for another active arm. The arms are going to be the problem here. There's certain clubs that have so much pitching depth, June, like the Dodgers, that they could withstand some of their pitchers getting hurt or sick. But like the Mets, like, they don't even have five starting pitchers now. So I don't know who's going to be after that when someone gets hurt. So depth of rotations is going to be a big key here because these teams have plenty of hitters. They even have plenty of catchers. But pitching, most teams don't. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be the biggest variable of this entire season between teams. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier who stays healthiest, literally from just a sickness standpoint. And how, like, I'm, I'm very curious to just to see, you know, if if a guy gets sick, you know, how does, does it, how does it affect his physical well being? We've seen, you know, reports of how this body affects people physically. If a guy gets sick and it, and it hits someone particularly hard, cause, you know, we've seen cases pop up, you know, they're, they're rare, but we've seen cases pop up where you see 20 somethings and 30 somethings get very sick from this. Who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, that's going to be something that I think is an interesting variable in all of this too, because, you know, just to, we're in the middle of this, unprecedented pandemic and unprecedented circumstances you know we can talk all we want you know behind these microphones about what we think might happen but the truth of the matter is like we have no idea what's going to happen here because nothing has ever happened like this before i think we're going to need to see some flexibility including in the rules i wouldn't be shocked to see the league have to come up with something to address these issues if they become a particularly big deal to your point about the rosters eric um, I think we're going to see a lot of in the 30-man roster uh, portion of the season, 18-man pitching staffs, because there is still that rule where I believe it's you can't bump somebody off the roster for more uh, for, for fewer than 10 days. So teams are going to have to make decisions based around that. Uh, how are they allowed to use the injury list? They shorten that one again, so I think it's 10 days. They'll find ways to shuffle guys around, but I think we're going to see heavy, heavy pitching-oriented rosters in the initial weeks. And And there's a decent chance, Tristan, that the wins leaders a month into the season are Yusmero Petit and Michael Lorenzen and not any of the starting pitchers. I know you downplayed what I said earlier, but there's no way I'm taking a starting pitcher in the first five rounds. They're not going to win any games in the first month of the season. It's, it's there's no way Justin Verlander's pitching five innings in the first month. This is the, I, I think you're dead on as to how we should approach the win category. What concerns me is we're leaning heavily into it as a group. I have this if, if we see all 60 games, I think that fantasy baseball in that category on the pitching side will look very different in August, especially in the first couple of weeks, than it will be in the second half of September. All right. Uh, we'll probably get back to this a little bit later in the show, but let's talk about the movie of today. And uh, it is Eight Men Out, a classic movie with some flaws, but I love the movie. And June, first we'll ask you, did you watch the movie this morning or did you see it 10 years ago? I so I saw it ten years ago. I remember borrowing it from the library and watching it uh, because I was looking. I think this was one of the first baseball movies I, I ever sought out. Uh, I, so I hadn't I hadn't seen it in probably you know probably more than a decade, uh, and it's fine. 
like I remember enjoying it the first time because like it's kind of a, like a visual Wikipedia article of everything that happened in the Black Sox sandal kind of truncated into a movie and dramatized obviously. I didn't really necessarily take a whole lot from it the second time just as like a someone who like follows baseball closely, loves baseball, knows what happened with the Black Sox scandal. It, it just kind of it you know, it's it's a movie that kind of centers around uh, Buck Weaver and and John Cusack's car- portrayal of him. Uh for me, it's just kind of fine. It's kind of it's it's a it's a well made movie, but I don't think it's particularly super memorable in any any way. I think that's a good way. I, I, okay, I, I mean, I thought you would like it more, um, Tristan. Your thoughts here on Eight Man Out? I I like it as a movie. I also read the book, and I also read the Saber article, and I should give that guy credit. So let me look yeah. that up. Which a lot of what happened in the book and the movie just isn't true. But as a movie, I think it's enjoyable, and I think the baseball scenes work. Um, and I do like the Buck Weaver character, and I'm kind of infatuated in a way with the Joe Jack with Joe Jackson's story. Did he know that he was, you know, part of the fix? Did he not? He hit well in the World Series. Does that mean anything? I've read a book about Joe Jackson, his upbringing in Greenville, South Carolina, and he wasn't a real educated man, but he was a great hitter let's make that clear i mean what 360 lifetime let me look that up too i have a lot to look up while you're talking please talk (laughs) (laughs) all right well to your point we need to mention the saber column because there's an entire appendix of all the errors in the book and in the movie or things that are inaccurate or kind of bend the truth it's twelve thousand plus words that tells you an awful lot about this movie And I remember watching this long ago. I saw it when it was originally out, and I wasn't blown away by it. I didn't dislike it. And I watched it again in this past year, and I wasn't blown away by it, and I didn't dislike it. It has great cast here. Uh, One of the things that struck me, it's one of Christopher Lloyd's more serious as opposed to comedic roles. And I thought he did a very good job in that. I I really enjoy watching actors like that who can kind of go in either direction, uh, you know, critically speaking. Um, it, It doesn't play up. Shoeless Joe, as much as I was expecting it would. When I went in, that was my expectations. That that would be the prime focus. And it wasn't so much as I expected. You mentioned Buck Weaver being a big focus of this movie. I'm a big John Cusack fan, a great performance by him. But I think the best way for my uh, for me to sub my feelings, it feels like a documentary that doesn't give you enough documentary. It's not quite accurate enough. It presumes you know things about baseball and about the scandal itself that 60 years later when it's filmed, actually, I think it was 70, 70 years later when it was filmed. That's a lot of time that goes by. There are going to be people who just do not know enough about the scandal and they're going to take this stuff as uh, stuff verbatim. And I I feel like they kind of should have filled people in a little bit more. Yeah, I feel like this is a movie that's at least partially directed towards baseball fans because it presumes so much knowledge and just kind of baseline knowledge of who these people are and kind of what happened uh that that for me i think is is part of why it doesn't totally age well is because i think it's kind of made for the certain generation of baseball fan who like knew all of this stuff but like in 30 years are when you know are people gonna still be watching this movie in the same way if they're watching it for the first time i don't know the answer to that i i I watched the movie to enjoy it um i like the characters obviously some of the characters are among the better actors around, and they do a really good job. I mean, obviously, John Cusack is terrific, but I also think that the Kid Gleason character with John Mahoney, yep. uh, is, is terrific as well, and the bad guys like Chick Gando, Michael Rooker does a terrific job, Charlie Sheen, who doesn't seem to know anything, D.B. Sweeney has a beautiful left-handed swing. 
like Joe Jackson. I never saw Joe Jackson actually hit. But D.B. Sweeney, who was also in like a hockey movie, he's been some other like movies, like sports oriented. He does a terrific job at the plate and that home run. That's a legitimate home run that he hits. So uh, I want to give credit here. Jacob Pomrenke, that's P-O-M-R-E-N-K-E. He's on Twitter at at Buck Weaver. He's the excellent um, Sabre researcher about the Black Sox. um, And he's he's written a lot about it. And he does a great job. And um, all credit due. I mean, like. It's, it's weird. Like you watch a movie, you watch a book, usually you think, oh, well, one of them has to be right. But in this case, neither is. But I did enjoy both. It's one of the rare instances where like I really enjoy both of them. And I just think the movie is just like because the characters are so good in their roles and they portray what ha- actually happens in 1919, like the, the mood of 1919 really well. Yeah, I, 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 I personally actually really like the ending. I wish Joe Jackson had a bigger part in that movie so the ending could hit a little bit harder. Uh, because like the notion, you know, even if it is fictionalized, the notion of him, you know, still playing in a semi pro league because he loves baseball, like that is the romantic, the type of romanticism that I love about baseball. Um, and so I personally, like that is, that was kind of one of my biggest takeaways from, from watching it this time around was like, oh, I wish they had integrated Shoeless Joe's story a little bit stronger into the rest of the movie. So that ending was a little bit stronger because I think the idea of the ending is awesome. I'm going to reiterate uh, Monday's point from Dave Schoenfield, who, who had thrown in that it has very good baseball in the movie, which is a big plus for it as well. That said, I'll also point out that it, it when when going through the historical accuracy of the movie, a lot of the errors they make in the games are pretty patently obvious that they're thrown. <laughs> so that is something that bothered me just a little bit about it. I, I actually well, I, went back for this one and I looked at some of the reviews at the time. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember what the the best one was. So in uh, Roger Ebert's case, he he pointed out something that bugged me about it too. And June, you mentioned at the end of the movie, this is similar to that. It does that old thing where the player's in the field and you flash to people in the stands talking about the player and their history. And to fill in players like that, I don't know, it seems a little cliched to me. (laughs) And director John Sayles is actually in the movie as the newspaper writer Ring Lardner, which if you're an old baseball fan or you've read about baseball from – I do – I played in in a sim league from baseball from the early 1900s. And, uh, right, we've been doing that for years. And uh, I just, I kind of like, I'm into it. Like, I think it's cool the way baseball used to be. Obviously, that's a long, long time ago. But that World Series, I mean, the Reds get credit for that World Series. There's no asterisk there. I would have loved to have found out had, if it could have been a more competitive World Series. The other thing is, there was other gambling going on back in that era. That is not the only World Series. I mean, from what I've read, that was at least affected in some way. There were a lot of players who were taking money to throw games during that time. And so, like, it's like the like the steroid era. We're never going to know what actually happened in a way. One of my one one of the funniest bits, and I think this is just like a passage of time thing, is like the fans at the fans at the end of the movie being like, "Have you seen this guy?" I think I saw a photo of him once, and like that was that was their evidence of like knowing what a player looked like. And obviously, we see these players on screens constantly now. And so, like someone you know, someone like uh someone like Mike Trout to baseball fans is you know everyone knows who Mike Trout looks like. The idea of not knowing what Mike Trout Trout or Bryce Harper and Mookie Betts looked like uh, today, I think, is is very very funny. 
And the D.B. Sweeney character of Joe Jackson, he's a right-handed hitter. He learned, I read this, he learned how to hit left-handed. He went down to like a Class A minor league baseball team and worked out with them. And then you look at that swing, that's a better swing than mine. I've been playing for a long time. Like he just learned that in a couple months, which I think is incredible. And, of course, Charlie Sheen's in another baseball move, famous baseball movie. I just think we I just think that one. <laughs> yeah, we dealt with that one. Yeah. And like. Dickie Kerr, the busher, who refused to throw the series. He pitched well. Not a lot of hard throwers back then. I I, I like it more than you guys did, but, um, you know, it, I think it's different for everybody. So, you know, anyway, let's move on. Let's get back to be, Let's get back to your trivia question, Tristan. We also want to get to a couple of hash browns about baseball. We want, we want people to continue to tweet us their thoughts. And now that there's actually at least a schedule for baseball, uh, please continue. Our next show will be Monday. And uh, we want your hash browns, which are basically just Twitter questions, June. June's like, what's a hash brown? Why are you talking about breakfast food? Okay, here's the story for everybody who doesn't know. I tend to say the wrong words or I mispronounce them purposely from time to time. And when I was looking to say the word hashtag, for some reason, I said the word hash brown. And now that became a thing. So on this show in particular, and also I think there's a sports center anchor who does this, um, it's hash brown. So those are just Twitter questions. So, June, if you have a Twitter question, I think you can move to the top of the line. Just ask us right on the show. But if you want to do it on Twitter, which is the greatest thing ever, you can just, you know, tweet it that way. But anyway, we have a couple for today. We'll get to that after the trivia answer. Tristan, what do you got? What was the question again? By the way, first, hash browns greater than home fries, period. End of discussion. Time for trivia question. All right. So, so to reiterate here, and this, I'll credit Elias. It's their stat. There are four players who are contracted to major league teams, are expected to be in spring training, who at any point in their careers have had a 60-game stretch, 60-team games, where they batted at least 400. Who are those four players who will be with teams in spring training? Well, June, you're, you're, what do you got? <laughs> uh, my shot in the dark guess, just from being a Boston person, having witnessed his hit streak a couple of years ago, is Jackie Bradley Jr., Incorrect. He is not on the list. Well, Cody Bellinger did it last year, right? He did not. Not over well, 60 then. games. <laughs> okay. Yelich? <laughs> not Christian Yelich. All right, well, that, I mean, I think Altuve was hitting 400 at one point. Altuve is correct. He did it in 2017. I guess Eric Davis isn't active anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> Davis, yeah, the great stat with the 2020, yeah. Yeah, he, his numbers in that, what was that, 87? I don't remember yeah. what year that 2020 was. 2020 to start, first 60 games, yeah. Kyle, you so got this, a guess? I did have Altuve on my list. I've got four other names. I don't feel good about any of them, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's positivity we need. <laughs> I've got J.D. Martinez, D.J. LeMahieu, Albert Pujols, and Joey Votto. Queued up. I could be over. You are 50%. Pujols did it really? in 2003. Joey Votto did it in 2016. We have one player left, and he is on one of your favorite teams. Harper. Incorrect. Is it my favorite team? It is one of the three of your favorite teams. Who does June root for? June, what's your team? Yeah, I'm Boston. I'm Boston through and through. (laughs) I'm kind of stunned this guy ever hit 400 over that lengthy period. He was a very good player in the prime of his career. But 400, that really surprises me over 60 games. Okay, he's at prime, so he's no longer in his prime. So he's we're still very good. Player. He's still very good, but this was his absolute best point of his career. Uh, dead air, dead air, dead air. I, <laughs> I, don't, 
<laughs> He's in my pH column. Oh, he is. Yes. Okay. Well, I guess I should have read that. Um, let me think. <laughs> I think he'll DH. You will probably disagree with me, Eric. Oh, okay. Well, then that that ought to make it easy. Um, well, I mean, it, it it can't be on the Phillies. It can't be Jay Bruce. No. Nope. But you're not far off. Andrew McCutcheon? Andrew McCutcheon did it in 2012. Wow. He's not DHing. He, he he's he's not. I I and you know that's one of the major things for fantasy that that I think is important for this truncated season is like who actually you know what if the Cubs decide not to DH Kyle Schwarber? I mean he isn't as bad a defender as everybody makes him out to be. So to your point about the DHs, one part we're not discussing is the impact on pitchers. This is the thing with pitchers. So, so Todd Zola is doing some great work with us, new projections and the like, setting everything up. And he did an analysis of what the DH will do to the National League. One of the numbers he threw me that struck me was that he has six more American League pitchers in the top 30 of his fantasy rankings as a result of the DH being added in the National League. So that's a big thing. The other is if you're taking a guy who has defensive questions out of the field and DHing them, you throw a good defensive player in there. That does help the pitchers. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, we'll see what it does for fantasy value. I are you changing your ranks because of it? I am a little bit, yes. And a lot of the players I did move in my rankings, I have a new update up there for the 60 games, did involve players who gain because of the DH. And uh, I mean, Schwarber is the one that everybody's commonly going to, but this could add 25 plate appearances per team to a lot of those spots. I talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers in my column. Also, the DH spot, is, it could be a good place. It could be a good way for people to rest uh, <laughs> during this insane stretch of games as well. Alrighty, so we've got some rankings adjustments to take place and publish to the site. Let's get to the hash browns now. David wants to know, you guys have mentioned Pete Alonzo is a guy that's potentially overrated based on his name value, Miguel Sano being the opposite. Do you have any other guys on either one of those lists heading into now a shortened season? June, let's get your impression here of Pete Alonzo as a, as a New Yorker. Um, obviously in a monster rookie season, but we know from historical data that it's almost impossible for a 50 home run guy to come back and do it again. He's not going to, nobody's going to hit 50 home runs this year. Teams may not have to 50 home runs this year, but what's your impression of Pete Alonzo from a statistical point of view? We all love him off the field. Can he do something like this again? Because we're a little bit worried about the batting average. Yeah, for me, the batting average has always been the biggest thing that stuck out. He hit, what, 260-something last year? Uh, On the dot, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, for, for me, that was – as someone who – as I'm obviously a Bostonian who lives in New York now. And so as, as someone who has, who has grown to have a lot more Mets fan friends – the way that Mets fans talk about Pete Alonso, my eyes is a little bit overblown in how, how in kind of matching up to his uh, potential projection. I think over the course of his career, I'm someone obviously who loves Pete Alonso off the field. He's you know been one of the first baseball stars in a while who's kind of pursuing kind of a public image in seemingly a positive way so far. Uh, and so it, I, I do think that his reputation kind of supersedes his his uh his kind of how good he is. I think he's more, he's one of those baseball players. He's who I think is very very good. Obviously, he has enormous power, but I do think that his fame quota is definitely bigger than how good he is because he plays for the Mets. Kristen, Pete Alonso should probably not be going ten rounds earlier, earlier than Miguel Sano. We touched on this on the last show, but that's what's going to happen for people that are drafting in the next month. If I was doing a list of overrated players, I love Pete Alonso, but he shouldn't be going in round three because there are other players who can provide similar power, similar batting average, and you're going to be able to get them a lot later on in your drafts. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I 
I feel like my approach is going to be in the early rounds to go for a lot more safety and then take considerably more chances in the later round. And that means I am going to naturally be anti-Alonzo because of the batting average risk and just natural regression. It's very hard to repeat the kind of home run surge that he had. And I think Sano, he's got some great upside. We got to bring in the fact that the two of them are in divisions that, that come into play. The Eastern divisions have it pretty rough. There's a lot of competitive teams in both the American and the National Leagues in the East. So Alonzo's going to face a lot tougher schedule than Sano, who gets to fatten up on that AL Central, those pitching staffs. Some of the National League Central, I mean, yeah, they're good. They're improved, but they're not one of the best divisions out there. They're not on caliber with the East. So I kind of like Sano. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to throw in a couple of names here. I'm probably going to fade Max Scherzer as an ace. We mentioned about the workloads, the injury question. If he has a setback, it'll take longer and eat up more of the season in order to get back to the full uh, extent. And he's an Eastern Division pitcher. I am going to go with an Eastern guy who does have injuries. And the more I look at Giancarlo Stanton, the more I might take a chance if he's sliding down close to the 10th round. Stanton does a lot better in warmer temperatures than he does in colder. And he's supposed to be healthy right now. If people are going to fade him, sign me up. You know what, Tristan? He's a brittle player, and even in a shortened season, he's going to get hurt. 60 games on the schedule. I'll set Stanton's over under at like 40 and take the under. Okay. And I want to be optimistic. Where, but where are you drafting him? If you have to draft him today, you have to put a round. Give me the round. Eight. I think he could go later than that. Sign me up. He's not going. How would he go later than that? People love that name value of John Carlos Stanton. He was 18 bucks in labor. That was awfully cheap. Well, was- back then he was hurting, going to miss a couple months. Now people are going to assume, oh, all these guys are healthy. Okay, Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton are not durable players. June, we have this argument on the show all the time before pre-June where we would talk about if you're a, if a brittle player, even in a shortened season, you're still a brittle player. And, again, I don't want to guess who's going to get the virus and who isn't, and I hope nobody does. But what's your take on that when it comes to brittle players? Yeah, I, I, I generally worry about when I've personally drafted, I, I tend to draft guys who have had good injury histories, you know, lack of recurring injuries, uh, the, you know, the nagging stuff, you know, the hamstrings, all of that stuff. I try to avoid those players for the most part when I, when I draft fantasy. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm very curious to see kind of how injuries play out over the course of this year. I'm very concerned about, you know, pitcher, pitcher arms, uh, you know, guys not having proper buildup, just given how weird the circumstances are. I'm very worried about things like hamstrings, uh, and, and groins and, and, and all of that stuff because, you know, guys have been sitting on couches, a lot of them for, for a while now. There hasn't been kind of competitive baseball on a database. All the guys have been working out, but it's not the same as playing games. And so we're in the middle of June now, you know, spring training is starting in July. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be something that I think is worth watching because the circumstances I think are going are kind of favorable for more injuries, just given how truncated the season is, how much pressure guys are going to feel to perform immediately, given how short the season is. I think there's a lot of factors here that are going to be interesting to watch from an injury standpoint. And speaking of hamstrings and groins, I think it's 50-50. I heard something as my <laughs> softball season opens on Sunday morning. You're not talking yourself. <laughs> I think, you know, on Monday's show, it's it's 50-50. I have a broken foot or a hamstring injury or something is wrong with me because I'm going to be diving into second base and in left field for catches and uh, I hope I stay healthy as well. Uh, Kyle, what else we got for hash browns? We've got one more here. It's a question about redraft leagues. Would you consider doing a draft over the next couple of weeks and holding that roster 
through the entirety of next season to prevent the short sample size, to prevent the issues with, you know, payment being in fractions and everything, basically make it a season and a third as opposed to a third of a season. Uh, June, you're making an interesting face there. What do you think of that? Um, do you like the idea of basically 220 games of baseball? Or I think that's what that question implied. What do you think of that? I, I think it would probably be fine if you wanted to like really play, play the long game, but I think it's, I think the chaos of the 60 game season, if things happen, if as long as people stay healthy for the most part, I think it's going to, the chaos is going to be very, very fun. Yeah, I, I'm kind of coming around to it too, Tristan, whereas like, yeah, we're going to have some small sample side theater here, but it's baseball. And other than the starting pitchers being used in a different way, the hitters aren't being really used in a different way. So we still should have some interesting hitting numbers. Like Luis Arise, I think, has like a 20% chance of batting 400 this season. And now, obviously, asterisk and all that. I think you need like 189 PAs or at-bats to be eligible for the batting title in 2020. So we'll know that it was a different season historically, but I'm I'm looking forward to like somebody hitting 20 home runs this year. Well, I have a question for you guys: Is what do you think the chances are of someone actually hitting or getting close to 400 over the course of 60 games? I think they're pretty good. I, I, and I know there's an article on MLB right now, which all three of us contributed to, which talks about who we think is MVP and teams that we think are going to do better than others think. I've got the Padres doing better, and. Um, I think somebody like Bellinger or Yelich or Luisa Rice has a decent shot at 400. And what they're not talking about is the pitching is going to be diluted. These guys are not going to be ready. We're going to see so many middle relievers and minor league relief pitchers pitching in the first month of the season that I'd be surprised if we didn't have a handful of guys batting 400 when we get to August. I really think that's going to – I think like a guy like Luisa Rice has a decent shot. Like a 50-50 shot at this. I think your point about the pitching quality is what drives the 400 prospects. I also think yes. I th- also think you're greatly exaggerating the probability it'll happen. I think it's higher than it's ever been at any point in the game's history. But look at the examples who've done it this century. It's, it's still pretty slim. It's not as common as once per year over 60 game spans. I'm not comparing this to anything else that has ever happened. That's, I think, the mistake that people are making is saying, oh, well, once upon a time, this guy did this over a 60-game stretch. That means nothing to me because this is all different. They're all in different shape. I agree with Eric because, guys, it's a 60-game season, and that's it. Like, we're not looking at a 60-game stretch over the course of 162 games because the tone, the the way that people approach a 60-game season is different from how they approach 60 games over the course of a 162-game season. And so, like, you're going to have guys probably pressing harder because each game matters more. And so, like... That there's there's a mental aspect to all of this too uh, that I think is kind of we don't really know how it's going to play out yet because we haven't seen anything like this before. The I, pace I, that players bring to this is different, Tristan. Like there's a different I, urgency. You're, you're exaggerating. Yeah. This is the thing. You're not doing the math. The people who sit and do projections are going to tell you there's no way it's twenty percent. It's certainly heightened. It's noticeably heightened. But I don't want fantasy managers to get carried away with the prospect of this happening. I think we should be taking chances in the likelihood it does. But I'm not going to take a rise seven, eight rounds sooner just because of the prospect that he does this. I I see your point. And I'm going to move him up in my rankings. But that's partly because I'm moving all the pitchers down, all the starting pitchers down. Um, And we're also assuming that relievers get used in the same ways they were. Maybe some of these closers come into games earlier in games to save these leads because every game is like a playoff game to these teams. So that's another thing. 
a pitcher like Josh Hader is going to be so valuable potentially. Oh yeah, this yes. Because he's going to be able to pitch two two innings or three innings, and then you know come back a couple days later and also and just kind of fill in the gaps if a, if the starting pitcher is falling apart early. Mm-hmm. Forrest yeah. Whitley, if he's pitching well this month, Tristan, Forrest Whitley could be the Astros' two inning guy and mm-hmm. rack up the wins and the strikeouts. I really believe stuff like that is going to happen. But- I'm very interested. I'm very interested to see too, just with the reliever use and how it kind of plays out over the course of this year, how it affects how teams approach relievers down the road as well, because there's going to be more room for experimentation within the course of the 60 game season. And, and Which, I, yeah, you, you mentioned the word experimentation to get back to this question. My answer to this is absolutely not, but I like the opportunity for experimentation and fantasy. You both mentioned this is a wild year. We can get a bunch of new people in to play fantasy in a shortened year. A lot of people are concerned about the 162 games. This is a great opportunity to get new players in, to try new games, new formats and the like. And the reason you shouldn't tack it to next season is that we are going to see players who opt out of this year. I'm quite certain somebody's going to opt out of playing this year. And that's just completely unfair. So just take this wild ride, enjoy the roller coaster, and see how it goes. I agree. Yeah, I would separate these two seasons uh, because not only are people going to opt out of playing, people are going to be forced to not play uh, because their temperature goes up to 101 degrees. And mine might be 101 right now. So, like, I, that's going to be a problem because oh, I've been no. yelling so much for the last 45 minutes. That That's something that could happen. I, I want a season. We all want a 60-game season. We're all excited about it. And um, I guess we probably should wrap at some point soon. So, um, and, and June, a lot's going to change between now and next week's show when we have the next movie, which I believe is Sugar, which I have not seen, but I can't wait to see it. And I know it's one of your favorites, so the least we could do is talk about that on the show. So that'll be next week. might be a Friday show instead of Thursday, but uh, we will get to that. And obviously there will be more information about baseball players opting out, teams experimenting in different ways. So uh, this is exciting and fun, and I can't wait to see it happen. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm just on, like to go back to. I'm excited for the chaos of this as long as people are healthy and you know people are going about this the same way. There's so much room to do weird things this year, and for teams to take completely different approaches to the 60 game season in terms of their roster construction, how they play games on the field, the urgency in which they play games. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of over the course of a 162 game full baseball season, you know, the media has a tendency to get overreactive. In this case, that overreactiveness might be just is is going to be way more justified, which I think, uh, from just like a narrative standpoint, might be a lot of fun as long as you know folks are staying healthy and uh, you know this virus doesn't completely shut down sports in America again. Well, wear your masks, people, because it really does matter. Tristan, any final thoughts yeah, today? Absolutely, our eyes on the health and safety. Please keep doing that, and I'm sure that baseball's got that well under control. But we are entitled to embrace optimism. That's that's what we're bringing to the table here. But be safe. Embrace optimism. That is the uh, cue for today's fantasy-focused baseball. June Lee, clean-shaven, so disappointed, but great insight on the show. Tristan H. Kockoff, look at that hair. I am Eric Carabell for Kyle Sapi as well. Thank you so much for listening to our little show, and please have a safe and awesome weekend. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the thrill of the revving engine and pure adrenaline of flying down the highway. 
to the confidence of knowing that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service. But Ari Snyder has one reason in particular. I have extremely large upper arms. They won't even fit into most shirts. Thankfully, biking really embraces vest culture, so I feel accepted. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.